1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: I'm a precious treasure. I'm a costly treasure. In fact, I can tell you with certainty, with absolute certainty, if you are a born-again Christian, he has said the same to you. Maybe not audibly, but in writing. It's all there in God's Word. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every giant will fall The mountains will move
1: Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues in his teaching series from the Old Testament book of Daniel. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Daniel, chapter 9. And now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: Well, today is uh, an introduction to the 70 weeks of Daniel, more or less. Uh, If you're just joining us today, we're doing a series in the book of Daniel called Exiles, Living in Exile. Living in exile is exiles because we are exiles here, right? We are just passing through. And Daniel gives us a, a primer in that, a lesson in that. Because he's in exile in Babylon. And our, ta- our, our sermon message, our message is entitled today, Reflections on an Unexpected Answer to Prayer. And we'll be studying Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 to 27. And verses 1 through 19, we have this extraordinary prayer of national and personal repentance And now we get into some revelation that results from that. And when you look at this title, Reflections on an Unexpected Answer to Prayer, the title can be uh, a little misleading. Uh, But today we're going to marvel over an unexpected answer to prayer that Daniel receives. Not that it's unexpected that God answers prayer, because he does. That should be our expectation. But in the way that God exceeds, I believe, what Daniel asked for, or expected. What I want to do is to organize our thoughts around uh, four conclusions that we can draw from this passage as we work through it, as we uh, gain insight into this answer to prayer that God gives Daniel, so that you and I, we as a church, can understand our place in redemptive history. Because what he did is he gave Daniel understanding, and in so doing, he gives us understanding as well. He enlightens our minds. And as we've talked about before, Daniel chapter 9 summarizes this incredible prayer that Daniel gave. Daniel realized that the prophet Jeremiah's uh, explanation that Israel would be in captivity for 70 years, that that 70 years was coming to an end. And that startled Daniel, it gave Daniel a sense of urgency, and so Daniel cries out to God, and you see this where he talks about that he's speaking and praying to God. It's audible, it's it's silent, it's continual. And we, we just get this little summary in chapter 9 of this sweeping, sweeping prayer. This was no, you know, Lord bless me or Lord bless my neighbor prayer. This was a detailed, passionate, ongoing prayer soulful prayer, a comprehensive, detailed prayer for Israel and Daniel himself. Daniel begs and pleads for the restoration of his people. He knows he serves a God who answers prayer because Daniel had received many answers to prayer already, starting with his, the beginning of his exile when he, he and the wise men of Babylon were about to be executed by Nebuchadnezzar, because the wise men couldn't tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream was or interpret it. And so Daniel cries out to God, and God gives him the dream and the interpretation. So Daniel knows that God answers prayer. And so he turns to God in prayer and fasting, and he receives this answer, this incredible answer to prayer. And we'll walk through the passage together to see it, to savor it, to take it in. Daniel 9, Verses 20 to 20, let's say three. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God. He's praying for Jerusalem. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the first came to me and swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. I don't know what that looked like, swift flight. He made me understand, speaking with me, saying, oh, Daniel, I have come now to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word, a command went out, and I've come to tell it to you for you For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Now, here's an unexpected answer to prayer. And maybe for the attentive reader and maybe for Daniel, the unexpected part is the messenger. What do I mean by that? Well, for us looking back at Daniel through the lens of the 66 books of the Bible, the 39 Old Testament books and the 27 New Testament books, Gabriel only shows up four times. And and so this is kind of a big deal. While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at at the first, came to me in swift flight. Gabriel is the archangel whom we'll later learn uh, in the New Testament delivered the word about the birth of John the Baptist to his aging parents. In Luke's gospel. And he describes himself in Luke's gospel as, I am Gabriel who stands before the Lord. Who stands before the Lord. Now, Daniel was trained to stand before the king, Nebuchadnezzar. That's a big position. But just be the one who stands in the same way before the Lord. This is who Gabriel is. And, And so, I mean, Daniel had seen him before once. And we see him now in this text. But every time Gabriel shows up, it's huge. He shows up again to tell Elizabeth, uh, to tell uh, Zachariah, this old man, that his barren wife and him are going to have a child, John the Baptist. And then six months later, Gabriel appears to Jesus' mother, Mary, to tell her that she's going to give birth to the God-man, the Messiah, the Christ That's it for him in the New Testament, pretty much. And so this angel comes to Daniel with unexpected answers to his prayers. God reveals to Daniel in a series of coming revelations the future of Israel and the entire world. And Gabriel comes to Daniel to reveal that beyond the exile and the return, there are going to be many, many more terrible, terrible days for God's people in the coming centuries in the coming millennia, and the last chapter is of Daniel. In fact, at times we find him physically ill over what he learns. Such information can be difficult to receive, but God gives Daniel this summary overview in this chapter through Gabriel in our own passage. In bringing this revelation, there's also another message, that, or actually two that should not be overlooked. And the first one is kind of is that God wants us to understand prophecy, not to be confused by it. And the second one is entirely different. It's on an entirely different plane. There is this unexpected news, news, that, that, that Daniel, he says, "For you are greatly loved." That's a peculiar statement. In fact, you don't see a statement like that anywhere else in the Old Testament or even the New Testament. Verse 22, he made me understand speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding, and I have come to tell it to you for, because you, you, Daniel, are greatly loved. How many of you ever received a message like that? I know I haven't. Or have we? You are greatly loved. I mean, John called called himself the disciple that Jesus loved. Moses and Abraham were described as friends of God. But here we are, you know, he receives, I guess, I would suppose it would be encouraging to hear that after 60 years in exile, you're 80-something years old, near the end of your life, your people are still in bondage, and this angel appears and says, you are greatly loved. That was probably a low point before the high point where he gets this message. It's interesting, in the original language, it's a verbless sentence. It would be almost like saying, you greatly loved. But a more literal translation actually is, is that you costly treasure. You are a costly treasure. Or, a precious treasure, which really brings us to our first insight or conclusion that we draw as we work our way through this chapter, and that is, number one, realize, point number one in your sermons, realize that revelation always, always involves love. We don't ever really think of it that way, do we? Verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Friends, God loves us. He doesn't want to keep us in the dark. He wants us to be in the know. He wants us to be informed. And so God went so far as to send Gabriel, this angel, who stands before his very presence to deliver a message to this man, this man all alone in exile, who's been in exile, who's been a prisoner, even though a government official now in Babylon, since he was a teen and now he's in his 80s. And he says, I've come to tell it to you because you are a precious treasure. So listen closely and think on what I'm about to tell you because you are a costly treasure, Daniel. Now, I don't know about you, but I could, <laughs> I could use the word of encouragement like that from time to time. You know, it's it's been a wondrous and adventu- an event- an adventurous seven years and two weeks here. But it hasn't been without its difficulties either, as you know. Between my daughter's accident and my own illness, there have been some dark days. And I've had my Asaph moments. But as I pondered this passage, I said, "You you know, Lord, I'd sure like to hear that. As I pondered this passage, it hit me that God has already told me and reassured me in, in as much as he proclaims the end from the beginning, that I'm a precious treasure, I'm a costly treasure. In fact, I can tell you with certainty, with absolute certainty, if you are a born again Christian, he has said the same to you. Maybe not audibly, but in writing. It's all there in God's word. Keith, Steve, Roy, Marge, you are greatly loved. Where do we find that? We find that in John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but... Th- in order that the world might be saved through him. 1 John 4.10. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. God wants us to understand prophecy, death, the future. And so we have this word. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 tells us this. Long ago... After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. After making purification of sins, he is a propitiation. It all sounds so clean, so theological, almost matter of fact. But do you understand what was involved in making the propitiation? The purification, it says in Hebrews, you talk about a costly treasure What God has done and said to you through Christ is the same thing that he said to Daniel. He just said it in a different way. You are a costly treasure. We cost him so much. We are so precious to him that he spoke to them through the prophets and to us ultimately through his son. You know, Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in Daniel 9.23, At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I've come to tell it to you. For you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. So realize that revelation always involves love. So what do you do with that? Well, there's a verb there. Realize that revelation involves love. Value revelation. Study the word of God. Love God back. Deliberately. Intentionally. Constantly. Mindfully. Love God back. Picking up in verse 24... Here we find the so-called 70 weeks of Daniel. The 77s, which I know many of you have been looking forward to. And we will dip our toe in that water today. This is where the great prophecies about the future are found. And in verse 24 we read this. 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish Watch these six things: to finish the transgression, to put an end to the sin and to atone for iniquity, and to bring in, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal, to certify both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, that speaks to completion, but in a troubled time. Verse 26, and after 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of a prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That's the destruction of the temple. It shall end. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until, until, and we talked about this in Daniel 7, an end is poured out, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Now this passage, understandably, excites, terrifies, and confuses a lot of people, the 77th There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, a coming prince for seven weeks and a rebuilding of the city with square and moats, a restoration, not just walls, but the foundation of the temple. This speaks to a completion of the restoration of Jerusalem. Now, the New American Standard Version renders it this way. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat in times of distress. Then after 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood. What's going on here? Well, looking back through the lens of the New Testament, this speaks to the coming of Christ, his execution, then the, the Romans coming in 70 A.D. under Titus and destroying the city after 30-some-odd years after Jesus' crucifixion. And then at some other point, the worst of the worst will come, as we read in Daniel 7:25, "One who speaks great words against God, and he will harry, he will wear out, He will subjugate the saints until the ancient of days steps back in. And then he will die." Now, when you look at this through the lens of Daniel only, and if you were Daniel standing there and hearing this, and and hearing this explained, and seeing this, you would not be looking back through the lens of the New Testament, and it would be hard to see everything that is there. We have more. Somebody once described it, and we have a slide to depict it, kind of a colorful slide. The mountain ranges, the mountain ranges of prophecy. There would be another slide like this where there you go. The mountain ranges of prophecy. And it kind of shows here, kind of a depiction, that they can see, the prophets can see the peaks of the mountains, but they cannot see the valleys. And so you have these different weeks of prophecy but in there somewhere hidden in a valley is a time called the time of the gentiles and you see this in uh, Luke 21:24 Jesus speaks of future events including the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and he says that the that Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot until the times of the gentiles are fulfilled a similar phrase is found in Romans 11:25 where Paul talks about a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the time of the Gentiles has come in. Jesus said later on, I have other flocks that you don't know about. This time of the Gentiles includes that valley there, which is called the church age. The epoch in which we live, we are after all times of the Gentiles. And so it's it's very complicated, but... Both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place.
1: Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org.